Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Uh, I'm consistently amazed at how this year is sort of both feels like it's at a complete standstill, like every day is the same as the day before it, and also flying by. So it's August. I'm not really sure how that happened. Um, Hopefully all of you rising seniors have been working on your essays and your applications. Um, One thing that I did want to note is that the updated Common App debuted a few days ago. So if you we're on it. Um, when you get on, you're just going to roll your information over. If you've never been on it before, well, it's there and ready for you to sign in and get started. Um, for those of you who are heading off to college in some way this fall, whatever that looks like, we have some suggestions for some finance discussions that parents and students should have before you go. Um, but before we get to that, I wish COVID was behind us, but it's not, as we all know, every single day. Uh, And so with that in mind, we are looking to get this week and next week some perspective from the other side of the desk. Uh, And joining us today to provide that is Fiona Reese, who is a Senior Associate Director of Evaluation and International Admission at UCLA. Hi, Fiona. Hi, Elizabeth. How are you? I'm good, thanks. And thank you so much for joining today. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. All right. Well, um, we've promised our listeners that we're going to have you provide some perspective on the challenges and changes that we can anticipate with admissions this year. So why don't I dive right in? (laughs) And before we get to the impact on this year's current group of, of seniors, I was curious to think to look back at the class of 2020, the high school class of 2020, and I was curious if you saw any surprising outcomes, um, you know, some things that come to mind. Did you see a decrease in international deposits? We anticipated that might happen. I was curious if you saw that. Um, did you see a lot of deferral requests go up? Things like that. Sure. What was it like? Well, to some extent, I would say that there were some surprises and that COVID was a surprise for all of us. (laughs) Yes. Um, But I I think the timing was also a a surprise in that we'd seen it sort of travel around the world. Um, But many of us went into quarantine and stay at home mode around the same time that the decisions themselves were released. Mm -hmm. So it, it did mean that we typically had a week or two, and some of us, I think, even pushed back our release by a few days to, to buy a little bit more time to sort of tinker with what we thought would happen. Um, as far as the, the actual surprises and how they played out, I would argue that we're still, still a little too early to see. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think many of us are wondering what will actually happen when we get to our three-weekend census and will things look as they are looking throughout the summer. So to to answer some of your questions, I I think many universities, um, when we got to that sort of last stage, slightly shifted because we were concerned um, about would international students be able to come? Would they be able to get visas? I think we're seeing those concerns play out. Um, I think there was a little bit of a shift um, for some institutions to look more at international 
students who were in the United States already because they already had a visa. So that might make it a little bit easier for them to, to at least transfer their visa. So I think those were the kinds of sort of shifts around the edge where, where we started to, to make some, some changes. Um, as far as what and who actually ended up depositing, they generally came in, I think, as we expected. We all had fairly heavy wait lists. And I think mm-hmm. many institutions ended up using those wait lists. And I think some institutions are probably still holding on to students who were on those wait lists just in case students sort of decide, yeah, for a variety of reasons, I'm, I'm not going to come. So I think that's probably been the biggest shift is that you've seen the wait list. You've seen more activity uh, than you've seen in recent years and that it's going longer than it usually has. Yeah, I mean, we have traditionally told students that, you know, if you look at the number the wait lists are huge and the movement is typically quite small for, for many colleges, not all. And um, I think that did, uh, we've seen it differently this year, which was interesting. Are you seeing, you know, as UCLA, it's a very well-known and well-regarded state institution that attracts students from all over the world. Did you see an increase in California-based students um, enrolling? So staying closer to home or was that as expected as well? It's generally been as expected. I think within California, we have such a a college-going culture and college-going expectation within the UCs that that's where a bulk of our students are coming from anyway. Um, It's Mm -hmm. over 80%. So nothing really changed too much there. Uh, I think throughout the course of the summer, there have I have been seeing emails from students who will say like, oh, I'm in the Bay Area um, or I'm in L.A. and I think I'd prefer to stay close to home. Um, right. So rather than traveling to the Bay Area. But then we've also seen some students who are in the Bay Area who are saying like, oh, I, I deposited elsewhere um, out of state. And now I think I really want to stay in state. And it could be for costs. It could be for psychological reasons of, of wanting to be able to easily get home and drive home if, if needed. Um, so I think those are the the kind of late, I'd say that's almost the, the later piece that we're seeing is, is more students saying, hey, I've changed my mind. Is it too late? And what's the response? Is it too late or are you able to accommodate that? We we went a little bit later than we we had done previously. I mean, every year is a little different that some mm-hmm. years you'll get to May 2nd and you're looking at your numbers and you're thinking, yeah, okay, no, we, we don't have a whole lot of wiggle room here. So we'll say, nope, May 1 is a deadline and, and that's the end. And I think this is true for, for most universities. Um, and then there are other times where you're like, yeah, we're, we're looking to the wait list. So if we've got a student who we've already offered the, the admission spot to, we'll go ahead and give them a little bit more, more leeway. So we were a bit more flexible in early May when we were still looking at our wait list. And now we've said, no, it's too late. Um, you need to be comfortable with where you're going or choose to to take a gap year and reapply. Um, this Got tool. it. So speaking of gap years, um, and I know you, you said that it's a little too soon to say, but do, have you seen deferral requests go up and are you, are you okay with students deferring? Um, are you allowing that? And is it more than you've seen in the past? I'll start with the last question first. We are seeing more than we have historically had. Um, as far as our policies, thankfully, we've we've always had the same policy in place, so we haven't had to adjust too much. And that is that the University of California has actually long said 
that they would encourage students to apply and students should apply during essentially what would be their gap year. Um, that students could change their mind about what they want to study or where they want to study or what's important to them. And that that year where they're away from school, there's a lot of maturation that takes place. So that can lead to a lot of changes. You now for UCLA, we've adhered to that policy, but we have on occasion granted deferrals. And those are usually for health reasons. Those are for um, financial reasons, medical, uh, excuse me, um, military uh, mm -hmm. Those are really the, the key or religious reasons. Um, so we're keeping to that, that if students are, are emailing us and saying, hey, I'm in the military and I need another six months or I need to wait until January so that I can finish up my, my deployment, we are granting those. Um, we are not granting deferral requests for students who are just saying, this isn't the experience that I thought. Mm. Um, and I, I really feel for the students and for their families. Um, I absolutely do. This this year was not how they thought they were going to finish their senior year. This was not how they thought they were going to be going off to college, if they're even going off to college with so many um, universities being online. So I do feel for them. But there's also the reality that we as universities need to also sort of preserve and protect the spaces for next year's class. That for we, we can only enroll so many students each year. So right. if we were to defer however many hundreds, thousands, dozens this year, that's that many spaces that we're going to have to be conscious of next year. So in fairness for the, the future classes that are applying, and this is true both on the freshman and on the transfer level, we're, we're making sure that we are providing as much information as we can to the families about asynchronous learning, recorded classes, the community that we're trying to build for everyone, because even if you're on campus, you're going to have a very different experience than you would have had in the past. Right, right. And, you know, I mean, honestly, as a parent of a current, of a rising junior, I appreciate these policies. I, I too feel for these students where nothing- I don't know that you'd feel that way if they if you were the parent of a rising or an incoming <laughs> freshman. No, I probably wouldn't. I was literally just about to say, I feel <laughs> for the, those family. No, it's okay, but I, I hear you. It's Everyone's got a different perspective and I do feel for these students and, um, you know, who are having everything impacted. And I worry that by the time my son is going to be starting college, that it, this may not be resolved and college may not look like what we thought it was going to look like, period. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's tough. That's almost too big to contemplate. So I try not to dwell on that one too much. Um, but I, I think, you know, my next questions were going to be about, do you see um, those deferrals impacting the coming year's admissions? And the answer, it sounds like, is not really because you haven't granted, un unless it's for the reasons you mentioned, which would mean it'd be a pretty small number. It sounds like you haven't granted more than you normally would. And therefore, at least that piece is unlikely to impact admissions for 2020, the class of 2021. Would that be accurate? Yes, I would also add a, a few other things, and, and I'm going to try and take my UCLA hat off, that, that there's the reality of every university is doing it a little bit different, and I think mm -hmm. we're all trying to look into our crystal ball, that you've got some universities who have historically allowed any deferral request, but mm -hmm. sometimes they've put caps on, on when you can defer, um, when you had to notify them by what you were going to be doing. 
I could equally argue that there are individuals who had been thinking about taking gap years. They were going to go travel. They were going to go get an internship. That's becoming increasingly hard to do. So those individuals perhaps are more likely to actually begin. This may not be what they wanted to do, but they are they are going ahead and starting. Yeah. No, I think uh, I think we're seeing that play out. I also think we anticipated a lot of gap year requests, a lot of the students that we work with saying, you know what, I'm going to take a gap year, and we are not seeing that play out in the way that we thought it would. So I think a lot of parents and students have said, I don't know what this is going to look like, but I want, I'm eager to get started, and I don't want to delay, and so I'm going to do it, whatever it looks like. So yeah, I, think and I, we, I, I think that's a, a very valid point, too, of if you're going to be sitting around it's going to be tough to get a job. It's going to be tough to travel. Well, you may as well at least start working towards your college degree. Exactly. Because that but degree is going to be really valuable, even more valuable four years from now or three years from now. Yes, exactly. As a good friend of mine said, I don't know what my son's doing. It might be in the basement, but he's doing something uh, come, <laughs> come September. And I said, I could, I could appreciate that. So, all right. So, well, that's an interesting and great perspective. And um, I appreciate that. So, Moving on to um, the admissions process for 2020-2021, which has got to be different than it has been in the past because one huge piece um, of the puzzle at, at the UCs, at least, is that you are going to be test optional. And so that may or may not weigh into the next question I ask, but what do you anticipate being the biggest challenge this year? Um, I guess I could say, what are you dreading the most? Maybe you're not dreading it at all, but what, you know, what do you see as like looming in your mind the most right now? I think there's, for all of us, especially if we've gone test optional, there's the, how are we going to read completely without, without testing? Now, I could argue that I actually, and I am arguing, that I don't think it's going to really make that much difference that it's always just been one factor of many that we look at, and it's always been downplayed um, in the admission process because for all of the reasons that we've discussed. Mm -hmm. um, I also think my, my biggest concern isn't actually for how we're going to read it, but for, for families. That I think there's a lot of concern of families of, well, I have a test score, but I really don't like it. And I know it says optional, but do I actually need, is it really optional? Or I think if I can get this score, it's really going to help me because I'm a good test taker. And I, so I think families are feeling, putting their own pressure on themselves, self-pressure, to still continue to take testing, even though it's optional at so many places. And I'm really concerned about that and how that plays out because there are so many, so many tests that are being canceled, students are, are showing up and they're not able to take them, or just their own sort of health risks that they might be taking. Um, so I would really, I guess I'd turn that back around and say for families, optional really does mean optional. And I think as, the, as we move closer to the fall, we are expecting that there will be actually the bulk of the students who are not submitting scores because they just cannot easily take them. Well, seeing just um, disaster after disaster of you know, families traveling great distances to take the ACT recently, only to arrive and discover that the testing site was closed for the day, or you know, really putting themselves in in danger to try and take the test, or trying to register for the test, not being able to do that. And I do wish that more 
families would sort of take a step back and say, you know, the colleges that I want to be at are those that are willing to look at what's happening in the world and say, can't require test scores. There's just no way. And be comfortable taking them. Well, and that's um, assuming that they even have it, the ability to go take a test. Yes. That many students are dependent on in-school testing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if they're not in school, how, how viable is that as an option for them? Right, exactly. There, there aren't tons of other places where you can take them. And um, I was reading the other day about there are some schools that are able to, you know, maybe some boarding schools work out a deal with the college board or with the ACT to allow them to give the test only to their students. Whereas in the past, if you were a test center, you have to make your test center available to anyone who gets, you know, who registers in time for a spot. And that feels like one more way in which the haves have mm-hmm. an opportunity to edge out the haves nots. And that doesn't feel good either. So um, yeah, it's I, kind of, if I were to look into my crystal ball, which has been decidedly broken this year, <laughs> I think you're going to see more schools that are actually shifting from being test optional to test blind this year for all of these reasons. I think those yeah. announcements. You think those announcements are coming? Interesting. That's my personal hope, but I I do think at least more universities are having those conversations of decisions were being made or were made back in April and May, and now we're sitting here in August, and it looks rapidly different than it did two or three months ago. Right, right. And if the goal is to holistically review students, um, and, you know, it does seem to feel like if not everyone can provide test scores, why don't we not include them? Why don't we not consider them for anyone? It does seem like mm-hmm. that would be the best and probably easiest solution, actually. But boy, from yeah, your and- to God's ears, I hope that is what happens. <laughs> I would love I it. mean, I do too. And I even if they don't move to fully test blind, because I can, I can understand some of the rationale of keeping it if students have scores mm-hmm. already, I, I hope there will be increased language, at least on websites and in sort of marketing materials, basically saying, we do not expect you to be taking tests from this point on. Right. Please if you had them yourself. before all this hit, great. And if not, then please stop trying to register for tests this fall. Exactly. And just, yeah. That's know. my hope. Yeah. Uh, that would be great. Um, all right. We have a bunch of other questions to get to, um, but we're going to take a quick break. And we'll get to those when we come back. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are 
are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right, welcome back, everybody. We're here with Fiona Reese from UCLA, and we are getting the perspective from the other side of the desk on the things that are changing and shifting as a result of COVID-19. So, Fiona, we're going to hop right back into it. Um, we were talking about standardized testing. I'd like to shift slightly and talk a little bit about what you know about what changes you're implementing for the coming fall in terms of how you do your admissions process. Yeah, I, it's still, I think, perhaps a little bit too early that for we started off by talking about what we've been doing with the, the incoming class and how everything's changing almost on a, a daily, weekly basis. So I think for many of us in the admission office, our focus is still very much on enrolling the current class. Mm-hmm. And then when we get to the fall, we need to start really looking at the future class as well as how we're going to be reviewing applications. So you can ask me this question now, and I'm going to give you my answer as I see it today, but I'm, I'm going to give the little preface of ask me again in two months' time, and I might be saying something entirely <laughs> different as we've really had time to, to delve into reading applications and getting an understanding through some early submissions of what we might be looking at. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so um, as I said, we've always been pretty holistic. So not having test scores, I don't think is really going to change too much about what we see as far as and how we read. Now, I recognize that what we see is probably going to change. Um, you are going to have some students who in the fall, or excuse me, for the spring, may have pass fail grades. Mm-hmm. Um, for the University of California system, we've basically said we're going to trust that a pass is a pass. Um, it's what we would consider to be a C minus or above. It will not get factored into our GPA calculations, but we will go ahead and use the information that we've got. Um, I think then as far as reviewing, and this isn't true for the UCs because we typically don't see first fall quarter grades, but I think for many other universities, there might be more dependence on how students are doing at the beginning of their senior year. Mm -hmm. Um, So if not, For good and bad, I think there might be a little more dependence on how students were doing and what that trajectory was up until they went to pass-fail grades. Um, I think the activities are also going to be where we see huge swings. Right. Um, There's Students have lost opportunities. They've lost opportunities to compete in sports. They've lost opportunities to compete in debate tournaments and to be on campus and to do their own theater performances. Um, there's, again, we're going to have to to base our decisions and we're going to be looking for those leadership, but it could be that we're looking for a student who's been committed to an organization since they got to their high school. And maybe that leadership has been that they were secretary in their start of their junior year. Um, Maybe we can't look for some of the same traditional leadership roles that we've historically seen. Mm -hmm. I think we're also going to see students who are taking advantage of this, this situation to, to try something new. But I'm also, and, and I really want families to hear this, that my least favorite question of this time of year is, well, how can I show you what I should be doing? How can I show you that I'm a leader? Because I need to acknowledge that it is okay to not be okay. Mm-hmm. 
the, yes. the, I'm someone who is twice as old as these is, is a high school senior a little more than that, if I'm being honest. <laughs> um, and I have days where I'm not okay. And I'm fortunate enough that I have my health. I have my family's health. Um, I have a good job. I, so there's a lot of things that, that students are dealing with and a lot of pressures. And I, I want them to first and foremost and families to first and foremost focus on being okay. And if you're not okay, then please don't worry about the college process. That, that things will work themselves out. Um, if you're feeling okay, then focus on your academics. Focus on what you can do. If you love languages, are you able to, to take a free language app and, and learn a new language, learn Swahili or Irish or Navajo? Um, read a book. Read, challenge yourself, like think of, of things a little bit differently. Take the, the family dog for a walk, um, cook a meal for, for your family. So I think we're going to see, and this gets back to the question of, I think we will see students talking about what they've done um, during this time. And that does not mean that I want students who have suddenly gone out who are, are doing volunteer work and are, again, putting their, their own health at risk. I don't want students to feel like that's something that they need to do. In fact, I would prefer that they don't. Um, I think there's plenty of ways that we can still be contributing members of society uh, in this, this situation. Right. Without necessarily having to, like you say, put your own life in danger by going out into the community. Absolutely. If you yes. feel strongly about that and you're passionate about it and you have your health and something you really want to do, awesome. But please don't do it because you think that's what colleges want you to be doing. I Absolutely. think that's a really great point. Yeah. And I'm, I am with you in that. I hope our listeners are taking that in and really absorbing that idea. Um, yes. Um, and the advice I've been giving to students, too, is do all of those things you just mentioned, you know, read a book, learn a new language, do, use this time to explore some crazy and wacky interest. Keep keep track of what you're doing so that mm -hmm. you can account for it um, in your applications. You know, it's no good if you do all of this and then you're like, I don't remember what I did. And so you put nothing. Um, but it doesn't it can be as simple as things like that that you can do right from your room versus having to go out into the world. So absolutely great advice. Um, okay. Another question that I would have for you is around, so back to the standardized tests, it seems tough to get away from them, but um, I think <laughs> even with really, optional, we can't escape them. That's exactly right. We can't. I, and, and um, we've done a few different segments on the changes um, to the UC system and how you guys are looking at testing and, test optional for the next three years and then test blind after that. Um, but I am curious if you, um, one big piece is how are the lack of standardized tests going to affect merit aid offerings? So you guys have some scholarships and um, I'm curious if there have been any decisions yet, fully understanding that this may still be very much a work in progress um, about how to award that without standardized test scores in hand? Yeah, I, I think for, and my hope is that many universities have been moving away from using standardized tests anyway for merit scholarships. I recognize that that is not exclusively the case. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think if nothing else, the conversation over the last six months to a year about some of the testing equalities has led internally to some of those conversations for the same reasons about should this really be one of our two or three or four criteria that we're using for merit scholarships. 
So some of us, and, and UCLA is one of them, that we had moved away from them anyway. So it's not really going to make a, a whole lot of difference. Right. Um, I think within the UC system, there's, again, a lot of conversations, and this is the advantage of having um, eight sisters, that if if people have questions, there's other institutions that they can look to to say, well, what what criteria have you looked on? And for many of us, it's the same thing. If we've been reviewing applications, we're reviewing them holistically. So just take it one more step to this seems to be one of our top students within our applicant pool based on all of these criteria. So let's go ahead and award them a scholarship. So I I don't think, I think for some institutions, nothing is going to change at all. And I think for those others, it's not that big of a leap. Right. Right, exactly. Because merit money has traditionally gone to the best students, as you say, in your applicant pool in whatever criteria you have for that particular merit award. And you're already going to figure out how to determine that without standardized test scores in the regular part of the process. So it does seem like it would be a relatively easy continuation of that. Um, All right. So that's standardized testing. Um, In terms of financial aid, Mm -hmm. and I don't, I don't know how much in this area you're involved in, but um, do you, uh, do you know of changes that you see happening at in the financial aid process for the coming fall, or is that going to remain largely the same? Uh, Well, I'm going to preface this one with I'm not a financial aid expert, and I I work, I've always worked at institutions where we are need blind in our admission process, which means that whether a student is saying that they need full need or no need, Mm -hmm. I don't even know. It it makes no difference. We're going to admit whoever we we think is is the best student um, and who is going to bring the most to our community, regardless of of their financial situation. So I'm, I'm fortunate in that sense. So you could be talking to my colleague in financial aid and they might be telling you something entirely different. (laughs) Um, Yes. But if I were to look into my crystal ball on this one, I think it's really fuzzy. That the the reality is, is that universities are facing some budget crunches. Mm -hmm. Um, And it really is sort of an onion of of revenue, um, both as far as what's being lost, what new money is being spent as far as what's needed in PPE, um, sort of future costs of, of revenue. And a lot of universities provide institutional funding as part of the financial aid package. You then layer that into the federal funding, you get into state funding, federal endowments, and what's happening within the stock market. There's a lot of uncertainty. So this, to me, is a question that I think you need to keep asking throughout the course of the year and keep asking institutions what what impact they're seeing and what they anticipate seeing. Because the final piece of that is that every university is is going to make the commitment to their current students, first and foremost. We want Mm -hmm. to make sure that if a family situation has changed, that they're able to get what they need in order to graduate um, and, and to remain enrolled at that particular institution. So then for the the students moving forward, my hope is that much of it isn't going to change and that if you are a a student who has need, that the universities will be providing that need to you um, and that money to you. You might see more changes around scholarships. Um, Perhaps scholarship money might be funneled into need-based um, and let me be clear, if I am not talking for, for UCLA or for the UC system, I'm just talking sort of a little more holistically in general, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that that might be where you start to see changes. Um, 
dependent on the, the how much the, the institution has. Got it. Okay, I think that's fair and um, and I think really helpful in understanding the perspective that this is coming from you in admissions versus someone who's currently working in financial aid at UCLA. But I still think um, some really good ways to think about how this process might be adjusted in the coming year. Quick question could, for you. If I could give yeah. one quick piece of advice, though, to families, be sure. honest with yourself. If you... If you know that you need funding and have those conversations with, with the students as well, like yes. as you're going through the college process, have that conversation of money is going to be an issue. This is how much we can afford. So by all means, go ahead and apply. But if you don't get a scholarship or if you don't get financial aid, and I would always say, please, if you need financial aid, go ahead and apply and don't, don't be worried even if you're applying to an institution that um, is need aware, and you might see more institutions who are going in that direction. Mm -hmm. You may as well be honest about what it is that you need and get what you need versus trying to game a decision to get a decision, but then you can't afford it. I think that's actually more heartbreaking. Yes, and it's actually something we talk a lot about in our conversations with families and on this podcast. And the other thing that you could be very detrimental is waiting. And if you really need aid and you're thinking, I'm going to get in and then I'll apply for it, a lot of times at that point, the funds are gone. And you might have gotten Absolutely. some if you would have applied for them originally. Um, okay, last question for you is just sort of, and I think you probably, you touched on it when we talked about activities, but is there anything else that you really want students and families to know as we move into this really very uncertain application cycle in the coming year? Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit of a pragmatic optimist. So mm -hmm. we've, we've spent, and we do spend naturally a lot of time on the doom and gloom of, there's a lot of unknowns. Um, I'm hopeful maybe not immediately, but I think in, in general, that I think within our profession, I, th I think all of this is really helping us challenge the status quo. And so I'm hopeful, and I think testing is, again, we're back to that T word, um, is just one example of how COVID has really helped push our profession um, to engage in conversations that I don't think we were quite there yet. We were on the edge, but we weren't quite there yet. So I think there are gonna be some upsides to this. Um, I would also advise, I, I've got a couple pieces of advice if I may, sure. for students. Um, remember that at the end of this, this is actually a two-way street. We spend so much time talking about what it is that you should think about in, in your application, but at the end of the day, you get to decide where you want to go. Um, that you are the ones that actually get complete control over where you're going to enroll. Um, related to the control piece, and, and this I think is, is advice at the moment, control what you can and let go of what you can't. And that is way easier to say than to do. Hmm. But yeah. if you are feeling like you're in a good place, the good news is, is that we all have virtual programming. Um, go look on our websites, look on YouTube, look at the videos, get an idea about an institution, have an idea, do the, the guided virtual tour with a real tour guide where you can ask questions and get an idea of, is this something that I'm, is this a place that I'm interested in? And the good news is you don't have to hop on a plane. You don't have to travel. And actually, if you get 15 minutes in and you decide you don't like it, well then drop off. It's not like right. you're, you're, you're leaving a group. Um, start to control and think about the, the college essays and 
what you might want to write about. And you talked about the checklists of those. There are still plenty of things that you can control. And I actually think that the current environment gives you more space to do that. Um, so when you go for your, your daily bike ride or your walk, maybe think about some of these things. Um, use that time to, to focus, which I think, frankly, in our day-to-day, we don't usually get in, in a normal, quote-unquote, uh, time period. And my final piece of advice is for parents. Um, remember that at the end of the day, you set the tone. Uh, if you think back to when your children were toddlers, if they fell, they would inevitably look at you. And if you swooped in and said, oh, you poor baby, you must have hurt yourself, they'd immediately burst into tears. Versus if you looked at them and you said, yeah, you're fine. You're not bleeding. Everything's okay. They would pick themselves up and waddle off. And I think the college process, even though you're many years removed from them looking at you, they still look at you. Um, They very much look to you for tone, for direction. That if there's the inevitable and I hate to use the term rejection, but denial. And and I think that's an important word distinction that it's not personal. And for them, for you as parents to be able to say, that's their loss. That's, that's not on you. Um, That helps set the tone and and make this a, as pleasant a process as it can be and hopefully an enjoyable one. No, absolutely. Fiona, thank you so much for joining today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right, we are going to take another break. And when we come back, we're talking about finance topics parents and students should discuss before starting college. So don't go away. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit getintocollege.com to learn more. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right, we are back, and joining me is one of my favorite guests, Jean Mahan, who is a former financial aid officer at Tufts and Quinsigamund uh, Community College. And Jean, I love having you, but I also love saying Quinsigamund, <laughs> as our listeners will know. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks so much again for having me. Absolutely. All right, we are going to get right into it. Um, so we don't really know if students are heading off to college. Are they heading into the basement? Are they heading to their rooms? We don't totally know. (laughs) Um, scary. (laughs) I know it is a little scary. Uh, but you know, I think that the key is at some point they are transitioning from being high school students to being college students. And ideally they will be living on their own. Um, and it's super important, right, that they be aware of finances. And yes. so 
we're going to talk today a little bit about what are some of the things that you would recommend parents engage with their students about before they go. And, um, you know, I guess my first question or, or what would you identify as the first thing that you would want to cover with a student before they head off to college? Sure. And these are great tips, even if they are going to be living in the basement or in their childhood oh. bedroom, because eventually they'll have to figure this out. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a great way to start uh, talking about spending money because, you know, we've paid our tuition and fees and all that, but you still need money for books and for pizza and, you know, shampoo and all those kinds of things. So who's providing this spending money? Are parents going to be giving the student an allowance? Is the student responsible for covering their own expenses using, you know, summer earnings, or maybe that they're going to have a work-study job on campus? So um, really important to kind of have that conversation so everyone's on the same page about where this money's coming from. And, you know, if the parents are providing an allowance, is it unlimited? Or is it so much a week or so much a month? Um, What happens if, you know, Josh calls and says, hey, mom, you know, I just have gone through my whole semester's allowance. Well, then what? So really important to have that conversation up front. And then to be able to help your student to figure out, you know, how how long does this money have to last um, and help them to budget that? That's a concept that a lot of kids don't get. No. In fact, um, I would say I went off to a year abroad and spent the spending money I had for the full year in the first half of the year. And so when I came back to campus, because I ended up leaving a half a year early, well, I had a big problem with my money, which I had earned, but which was supposed to be my money for the year. So yes, this is really good advice and important advice. And what's embarrassing about that story is A, that I'm sharing it, and B, that I was already a junior in, in college at the time when that happened. So better you know, to learn that's that. That's very typical of students, like just not knowing, not really having an understanding because they've never, most of the time have not really had to worry about that. So it's not really on their horizon. So mm-hmm. your experience is, is not unusual. It's, in fact, it's much more common than people think. So. Yeah, I think the big, the big thing for me was that initially Uh, my spending money was what I earned in my work study job, right? So for some students, and that's easy, right? You know how much you're making, but I could not work when I was abroad. And so the money I earned over the summer was meant to be my spending money. So you're right. It was actually the very first time that I had ever had to have a set amount of money and um, plan out how I was going to use it. And I clearly planned very poorly. (laughs) Okay. Lesson (laughs) Um, learned. (laughs) Yes, lesson learned. And I haven't made that mistake since. So I guess that's good too. Better to learn that one at 19 and 20 or 20 rather than uh, later on in life. Um, So speaking of, what about things like getting a job and uh, work study, things like that? Mm -hmm. So lots of students have been awarded a work study grant, which means that they have kind of a priority. uh, They're in the priority hiring pool on campus because the employers on campus pay very little of the student's hourly rate. And so it's a huge bargain for a hiring department. So they'll get on, go on campus. It depends. Some schools have online job fairs. Some have them when you got, get to campus. So obviously your student's going to need some sort of a resume. So help them with that. They may have something that they used for their college application. So great. Maybe tweak it a little to include any uh, jobs they've had since then. Um, but they're also going to need to fill out paperwork. And I think the biggest one, the one that's most confounding to students and to, I think, adults too, is a W-4 
four form. And you can access this online. So maybe mm-hmm. just uh, pull down a copy and have your student just look it over. You can help them understand what they're going to be filling out on each line. Um, you know, I think that payroll departments aren't very helpful with this. Um, and I find that you know, like I said, even adults find the new form. Um, as someone in, in our on our team said recently, you need like a doctorate to be able to figure out the W-4. So, you know, helping your, your student kind of walk through that so they'll know. They can even take that little, you know, um, cheat sheet with them so that they have something to refer back to. They should also be able to provide a voided check from their personal checking account because colleges want to direct deposit paychecks into the student's account. They don't want to be in the process of, in the habit of cutting checks and passing them out. So the student's probably going to need to have a voided check from a checking account. Um, Hopefully they have one. If they don't, this is a great time to set one up. Um, And we'll talk about that in a minute too. Um, And then also help your student to Uh, budget the money that they anticipate making. So maybe they have a $2,000 work study grant. So they, you know, $1,000 each semester. And how many hours do they think they're going to work? You know, how much do they think they'll make? So, you know, figure the minimum wage in the state where your student's attending school, how many hours they think they're going to work, and now how are they going to budget that money? Um, Maybe they, you know, want to have an emergency fund, which, a college coach in our financial education programs, we're really big on emergency funds and saving for long-term goals. So having an account where they're saving a little bit of this work-study money so that if they need an additional book that they hadn't planned for, or if they want to go home for an extra weekend this term, um, or if they're like you are going to be studying abroad, they have a little mm-hmm. study abroad account. That's their kind of long-term fund. And they're putting some money in there so that you know they don't have to just rely on that summer before study abroad job. They also have a little bit of extra. And we also feel like that gets them into the practice and the habit of developing good financial management skills that they can walk away with for the rest of their life. So having that, you know, not taking all their money and blowing it at their favorite store or favorite restaurant, but be able to say every week, I'm going to put $15 or something into my savings account. So I think that's really good, really good uh, advice that parents can give their children. Absolutely. And, and um, I think you hit on bank accounts and we have a couple of minutes um, here. So let's talk quickly about that. Um, and the question, you know, do you get a bank account on campus? I know that's the first thing we did when we arrived mm-hmm. on campus, but nowadays you can do banking online. So right. what's your advice there? So I think a lot depends on, do you have an ATM in the network where you are? So if your kid is 1500 miles from home, then might, and you belong to a small credit union, maybe there isn't a network. So first of all, find out what networks are the, the on-campus banks, but also find out, does your bank have uh, an additional fee if the ATM card is used? So I know that I belong to a kind of local credit union and I get six free ATM withdrawals a month. So, you know, if a student is only withdrawing once a week, they should be able to manage that. You know, so they may not need to to get a local bank and it might be easier for parents if they're transferring money from their accounts to the student account or something like that. So it may may be one less thing you have to worry about, but it's good to do a little bit of research before you get to campus and, and then all of a sudden have to set up an account. And if your student is under 18 when they go to college, like my son was, um, you may also need to be a signatory on that account as well, because your student is a minor and most kids can't just go in and open an account without an adult on there. So just be prepared for that as well. Um, Really quickly, um, what about a credit card? Um, I got a credit card and got myself into trouble. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, for sharing all the things. But so super quickly, what are your thoughts on students having a credit card? If you can give us that in like 30 sure. seconds. So it used to be, yeah, you could get into a lot of, of trouble, but stu- um, banks can't market college students on campus anymore. So that's one less problem. But really, I think it could be very important for a student to have a credit card, especially if they are distance from home. We saw people having to up and run at the last minute in March to get home, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. of COVID. So it's always good to have like that emergency backup. If your students never had a card, maybe consider getting one that has a limit. So maybe it would be a, a, a very expensive flight, say, would be $500. Good. Cap that count at five hundred. Um, mm-hmm. Talk to them about things like compound interest and what happens if you don't make the payment on time and how that your balance is going to grow. So I think it's a really good thing in some ways because they're establishing credit. Um, some parents choose to have their their student as like a, a authorized signet. I think it's an authorized user on their account, and mm-hmm. so the student will also be able to establish credit, but much more slowly than if it's in their own name. So I think they're, they can be very valuable and helpful and important if the student has been educated as to the pros and cons of credit. One last thing you had, you and I had talked about quickly, protecting your personal information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any conversation on that? Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, it's so easy. I think most of us find that at least once a year, our credit card has been compromised, right? So mm-hmm. unfortunately, you know, yes. <laughs> So if a bank is a bank is never going to call you and email you or email you and say, hey, what's your account number? The IRS is never going to send marshals to your house to arrest you. So don't give you and don't give any information if you get a phone call like that. Don't share your PIN numbers with your friends just because you think it's easy to just hand them the card and you know use it. Make sure mm-hmm. they're taking their card and their receipt when they leave the the kiosk. Um, and always reconciling their account because a lot of times kids will just look at the um, ATM slip and say, oh, I have X number of dollars in my account. But if there have been debits made and they haven't hit the system yet, which happens often on the weekends, um, then that balance may not be correct. So reconciling the account themselves so they know exactly how much money they have in there at all times, then they won't need overdraft protection. There you go. Jean, thank you so much. I appreciate you being here today. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day. All right. Next week, join us. Sally is hosting. Um, We're going to provide more insight from the other side of the desk. And the president of Southern New Hampshire University is going to join us. And we're also going to be talking about maximizing college savings plans to pay the college tuition bill. Um, And if you have questions, send them to us at gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. And don't forget, we're here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.